0: very smart people you took one look at the outline and you said pastor malcolm's not here and you were very right Uh, i couldn't get it over you i tried to match his as close as possible but apparently i didn't do the color scheme right and there's some other things you didn't forget your glasses i didn't forget my glasses either that's right uh but I am thankful to be able to preach this morning. So let's do this. Would you join me in prayer? And then I'm going to invite you to sit down. Uh, but thank you so much for this opportunity. Allow me to fill in for Pastor Malcolm this morning. Let's pray together. My Father in heaven. Lord, we are so thankful to be here in your church, in your building, Lord, worshiping you, the name above all names. And Lord, I pray right now that you would uh, just use me, Lord, that you would, you would hide me behind the cross, you would speak to me, through me, and, and to these people this morning, Lord, that you would, right now, if there's anything in our hearts and our minds that's separating us from you, Lord, I pray that we get it right, and we bring it before you, and Lord, that way you can speak as clearly as possible to us this morning. We pray these things in your name, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I've been fighting some crud for a little bit, and uh, you might be one of the lucky ones and haven't, haven't uh, gotten involved with this stuff that's going around, this cough congestion stuff, uh, but I've been fighting it since about Sunday. And I, I've gotten the, uh, the shots, I've gotten the amoxicillin, I've gotten the steroids, uh, I've taken uh, syrups and ciders and uh, every little other homeopathic thing, uh, onions on your feet, Vicks under your, I don't know, I mean, anything and everything, try to get rid of it, and it's not happening. Uh, so hopefully you're not fighting this stuff either. And then I was very, very uh, scared because my wife, Friday morning, began to throw up. I'm, I'm sorry, backwards. My son, at Friday morning, started throwing up. And it's one of those kids just come into your room at midnight, you know, stuff on their face like, I throw it up. And you're like, oh. And so you have to get up and go, you know, handle that. Um, I say, my, I didn't do it. My wife did it. I'm terrible. But uh, then Saturday morning, Saturday, my wife at 1 o'clock in the morning, she starts throwing up. And uh, now it's just me and my daughter and left. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, i got to preach Sunday. Like, I hope it's you. <laughs> like, like, that was not a, that wasn't a very fatherly thing to do or act, but I'm thinking, if one of us is next, just give me a day. All right? Just let it be you than me. Uh, so I'm a very terrible, terrible father. Um, but uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the Heptonstall house. Uh, uh, some of y'all are aware that we are trying to buy a house. or actually in the process of buying a house. We sold a house without even putting it on the market. Um, A lady pulled in our driveway and asked us if we'd be willing to sell our house. And I said, well, we've never thought about it. And so uh, we came up with a number, and I said, well, if we want to sell it, we want this much for it. And they sent a contract over the next day, and I'm like, okay. And so uh, (laughs) that put us out of the house, and now we're in a a rental place. And uh, uh, there's something about... uh, now, maybe you're a lot manlier, manlier than I am, some of you men in this room, but we moved into this place, and the very first night, my daughter says she saw a mouse, and, which is no bueno. And so we're trying to find this, this creature in our house, and uh, she says it's underneath the refrigerator, and so with as much courage as I can, I'm trying to pull this refrigerator out from the wall. Hoping, hoping to Lord that it doesn't run out at me because they're going to see a whole new, whole new part, part of their daddy and their husband. And so I'm pulling this thing out, and there's nothing. And then we kind of try to scare it out, and nothing's happening. And so then uh, I ended up We watched it for about 30 minutes, don't see anything, and then I, I eventually I go and take a shower. While I'm in the shower, I hear them yelling, I see its head! I see its head! And so I'm coming out of the shower, and I'm drying off, and, and I put some clothes on, and I'm trying to find this thing. It said it's underneath the stove. And so now I'm taking the stove out. I think, Lord, don't let this thing run at me. And I pull it out. There's nothing. And so I call my buddy Weston Cockerell. And I say, Weston, I need some sticky traps. Can you get here soon? He got there in about 10 minutes, and he put out some sticky traps. And he says, we'll probably catch it in about 30 minutes. I was like, oh, that'd be great. So sure enough, about 30 minutes later, we catch one. And the kid's are like, yay, we got it. Here's what I'm thinking, though. The, the mouse they saw was by the refrigerator and stove. The mouse we caught was by the dishwasher. And I'm like, they're flanking us. Like, they're everywhere. Like, they're coming out. And so I disposed of that mouse, realizing that is not the mouse we're hunting. And then a little bit later, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we catch another one. And I'm like, oh, man. And about an hour later, we catch another one. And my wife is now not sleeping at all, and she's—I'm I'm moving my feet in the covers. And she's like, "There's one in the bedroom." I'm like, that's my feet. And so, this whole time, I'm just telling you right now, it has been interesting at the Heptonstall House. Uh, but God is good, amen. God is good. Um, now, listen, have you ever in your life at one point ever felt defeated? Now, I'm just going to say, like, maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like the odds are against you. Maybe you feel like life has just gotten chaotic and, and things aren't working out the way you thought they would. And this could be in any capacity. Any capacity. It could be maybe in your job. You just feel overwhelmed. You're stuck. You feel like, I can't go anywhere up. I'm, I'm, I'm as top as I can get. But it's not paying a whole lot, and there's nowhere else I can go. Going to, and so you kind of feel stuck, and you feel overwhelmed. You feel kind of defeated every day. It's a grudge and, and a grind to try to get stuff done. Maybe your marriage. Maybe you feel like... Things aren't just working out, and and, and maybe you've asked for forgiveness, or maybe you've been the one providing forgiveness, and you still feel like you're at odds with each other, and and there's this conflict, and you feel defeated and overwhelmed in life. And and maybe it's just life in general. Things just keep coming, and it's like a snowball effect. After one thing, it's another. You know, I'm always of this philosophy that seems like things happen in threes. You know, one thing happens, and another thing happens, and another thing happens, and it's just overwhelming. Maybe it's with your kids. All right, I, I don't, I'm not an expert. Just don't think because we're on staff, we've got things figured out. Right? I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I don't have anything figured out. I'm learning stuff on a daily basis, all right? And, and my son, my six-year-old son, Carter, I told him one day before I went to work, I said, if you're good today, and I find out you're good, I'm gonna give you a quarter. Now my daughter, she's over here in this conversation, and she says, I wouldn't do it for a quarter, I'd do it for a dollar. I said, no, you stay out of this. <laughs> so she's trying to haggle with me. And so I said, no, no, you hush. I said, Carter, if you're good all day long, I'll come home and I'll give you a quarter. And so I came home later that day, and I sat down with him. I said, Carter, I'm not going to ask your mama. I'm not going to ask anybody else. I am asking you, do you feel like you earned a quarter for being good today? And with all seriousness, he thought and he looked. He said, give me a nickel. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he negotiated, I guess. He thought he did a nickel's worth of good that day. But sometimes life can just be overwhelming and you can feel somewhat defeated. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And it's going to be kind of a lot of reading, but we have to read it so we can get the context of what's going on, what's actually happening. This is a a, a war that's going between Israel and the Philistines. And, And we're going to look at some moments where they've gotten absolutely defeated, but we're going to look at some reasons why they got defeated. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Or sorry, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. So they go to war. The Philistines beat them, kill about 4,000 of their men. Verse 3, and when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore... Hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So I don't know if you realize what just happened here, but basically they go to war against the Philistines. They get their tail kicked, and now they're back at the camp, and they're licking their wounds. And one of the things they say in verse verse 3, it says, And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? In other words, let's break it down. They said, "Why did God let this happen?" That's what they ask. Like, why did why did He let us do this? Why did He make us lose? Now, now here's the thing. This is point number one. They presumed without God. They presumed without God. They made assumptions without God. Here's what happened. They had a history of winning battles. They had beaten so many other nations and so many other enemies before this one that they were confident, overly confident. And they felt like, you know what? We can do this. Because if you notice, there was not one point in that chapter where they ever prayed for guidance. Not one point where they ever went to worship. Not one point did they ever consult the high priest. Not one point did they make a sacrifice. Not one point did they even ask God to be with them in this battle. They simply went to war and they lost and then they asked the question, why did God let this happen? And this is a lesson for us today that there's going to be times where we think we can handle it because it's not that big of a deal. Like we feel like, you know, it's not that big of an issue. I got this, God. I can go. And then what happens? You get knocked on your tail. And then you're begging God, why did you let this happen? Here's the thing. We can't get angry for, at God for ruining a party he was never invited to in the first place. And so this is what's happening with Israelites is they're upset with God, but they never even ask God for his assistance. Now, God has taught me something recently. He's taught me a lot. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I seem to only go to God for the big things. With health problems, medical problems, bills, finances, whatever it might be, I go to God for that kind of stuff. Let me give you an example And so many of you uh, have met my dad. My grandmother's here. My aunt and uncle's here. I'm thankful for them. But my dad, um, as many of you know, he's got Parkinson's. And it's one of those diseases. It's progressive. There's no cure for it. It just gets worse over time. And that's a hard thing as a son to look at his dad and see him going through medical problems like that because there's so much you want to do. And, and, and it's concerning, right? You see your dad going through this, and he, he's not able to tie a fishing knot as good as he used to be able to tie a fishing knot, and so he's over there trying to tie a knot, and after about 10 minutes, he gets frustrated and says, can you tie this for me? And I tie it for him, and I get it all put together. Now, he's funny about it. Like, he'll go, and he'll outfish you sometimes, and he makes a joke about it. He's like, I can make that worm dance like nobody else, and he's just holding that fishing pole, <laughs> and he'll make a joke about it and laugh about it and stuff like that, but I do realize it's it's something he, he's also upset about. And, and, and I, see, I see how it is to... It's just a struggle for him to do basic things. And, you know, that's a serious thing I go to God in prayer about. God, please, please give my dad quality life. Please heal him. Please help him get the right medication. Help him get the right doctor. Lord, please help him. That's a serious thing for me. But let me give you the opposite end of that. I'm supposed to be going to Israel in, in January, and I can't find my passport. Dustin, don't fuss at me. It's somewhere, okay? I know It's somewhere. But we're in the process of moving. I put it in a box. I can't find it. I've been tearing my house apart trying to find this passport. And God convicted me. He says, Andrew, how many times did you ask me to help you find your passport? I said, it's not that big of a deal. He said, does it matter to me? See, sometimes we go to God for the things we know we can't handle. But when we feel like we can handle it, we kind of keep it to ourselves. And we frustrate ourselves because it doesn't work out the way we want it to. And God is saying, all you got to do is ask. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 Verse 6, and, and I, don't, I didn't give you all these verses, and I'm sorry, but Philippians 4, 6 popped in my mind this morning. Paul is speaking, he says, be careful for nothing. In other words, he says, don't worry about anything. That's what that means, don't worry about anything. He says, but in all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request made to God. And what is he saying here? He says, whatever it is that's concerning you, big or small, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Ask me for help. And, and this is something I've, I got convicted of recently. It doesn't take any more energy to, for, my, for God to heal my dad as it does for God to find my passport. There is nothing too big or too small, or too out of control for him. It's equal. There's no more energy expended for him to heal than it is to find. And so uh, he said, Andrew, come to me for small things, but here is our problem, is sometimes we become so confident in what we can do, maybe because of our own finances or our own abilities and skills and personality and networking and everything else. I can handle this. And we leave God out of the equation. Yeah. And this is exactly what happened with the Israelites. He said, God, we can handle this. They go to war and they get beat up and beat down. And they made presumptions that we can handle this without God. Don't ever make a presumption you can handle anything without God. You being here this morning is the very miracle of God in you, breathing life in you. The very next heartbeat and uh, and breath of air you have is a gift from God. There's nothing that he is not in control of. So don't ever think that you can do something outside of his control. Even the little things matter to God. So don't make presumptions without God. The second thing is, they presumed upon God. They presumed upon God. Chapter, uh, same chapter, chapter 4, verse 4. So now they're gathered together. Actually, let's go back to verse 3. That's the, the last half of verse 3 it says, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh out among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh. ...that they may bring from this the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the Host... ...which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas... ...were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp... ...all of Israel shouted with a great shout. So the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said... ...what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid... For they said, God is coming to the camp. Now think about this. They had a greater respect of their God than Israel had of their own God. They said, man, God is coming to that camp. And the Philistines got scared. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And then, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Braveheart. But this is like a brave heart moment. The Philistine commanders are looking at the, the Philistine soldiers and it says, Be strong and quit yourselves like men. That phrase, quit yourselves like men, means be courageous. He says, Be strong, be courageous. O you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men, be courageous, and fight. And the Philistines fought. And Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. There was a very, very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. So now they get to the camp, the first fight. They're licking their wounds. Why did God let this happen? And they said, we got it. We need the Ark of the Covenant. Go get the Ark of the Covenant. Bring it here. We need the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, the spiritual condition of Israel at this time is they're apostate. They're actually running from God. They're not worshiping faithfully. They're not doing all the things they should be doing. They're, they're far from God, but yet they still have this conception that the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. And so they said, you know what, we lost because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant here. Let's get the Ark, bring it to battle, and we'll win this thing. But, but here's the thing. Many times in the Bible you find that God's blessings are, condi- are, are connected with a condition. Let me give you an example. When he told Joshua, he told Joshua, he said, observe the law. Don't turn from the left or the right, and you will will prosper wherever you go. Here is the the condition. Don't don't turn from the left or right. Observe the law. Here is the blessing. I will go wherever you go. When he called Abraham, he said to Abraham, he says, uh, get out from the country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land I will show thee. And then God goes and gives him a list of all the blessings Abraham will inherit if he follows his commands. You always see a condition with a blessing. If you do this, I will do this for you. And we find these same types of conditions in the New Testament. He tells us over and over again. He says, uh, people are know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John 15, he tells us this is, I am the vine. Just as Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in the same bringeth forth much fruit. What's the condition? Abide in me. What's the blessing? You'll provide fruit. So there's a, there's a blessing and a condition tied into each other. Here's what's happening with Israel. Israel is trying to be friends with the devil... And be friends with God at the same time. They are not observing the conditions, but they're still wanting the blessings. And many times we find ourselves in that same predicament where we, as a people of God, are not following God's conditions, but we're still expecting the blessings. God, I know I don't pray like I should. God, I know I don't read like I should. God, I know I don't share like I should. God, I know I don't tithe like I should. God, I know I'm not a faithful attendant like I should be. But God, if you could do this for me, that'd be great. Man, there's conditions. There's conditions. God says, I will do for you, but you got to do for me too. Amen. And sometimes we come to God with open hands, saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. But we don't give anything in return. We cannot live in rebellion and expect God to bless our life at the same time. So you might feel like God is absent from your battles many times in your life. But I've got to ask the question, are you sure that you're walking with him through most of the parts of your life? Because if he isn't on the battlefield, it might be because he's not even in your camp. And so the Israelites are frustrated, and they've lost again. Here, here's what happened. I brought some props with me. Y'all like props. we are going to pretend this is the Ark. So they, they, this is the Ark of the Covenant, right here. And this is what they believed about the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever this is, God is. In, in, in the Old Testament, you find that what it, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. I don't know how many of y'all ever played with magnifying glasses when you were a kid. I don't know if you are a sociopathic like me. You take a magnifying glass and you burn ants outside and bugs and set leaves on fire and all that kind of stuff. You get the cops caught on you. And, uh, but the magnifying glass was a fun thing to play with. You get the light just focused just right and you can intensify that heat on that one place. This is the Ark of the Covenant. So, so what it was is the God who is everywhere chose to be somewhere. That's the Ark of the Covenant. The God who is everywhere chose to be somewhere. It's as if his presence and his power was magnified at the spot where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so the Israelites believed if we get the Ark, then this will happen. This, God will give us victory. God will give us the win if we get the Ark. And so this is what they viewed the Ark as, not the presence of God. They viewed it as a lucky rabbit's foot. They were trying to manipulate God. It was their God in a box. They have lost all concept of who God was. And they try to put God in a box. And you might be thinking, shame, shame, shame on them. But I want to introduce you to bendable Jesus. Can y'all, can y'all see that? This is bendable, po- Posable Jesus right here. Now, now, why am I bringing bendable, Posable Jesus out? Because, because we are really like the same. You know, we, we really are. We think that we can just make Jesus act however we want him to act. We can say, you know what? I don't think God is really against this issue. I mean, Jesus is love. right? He loves everything and everybody. So Jesus isn't really against this. And so we kind of pose him and bend him into whatever position we want him to be in. Maybe you think, you know what? God doesn't care if I go to church all that often. I can worship God on a boat or in a deer stand just as good as anywhere. So, you know, he just loves me just so much. And it doesn't matter to God. And so we bend them and pose them however we want them to be. And maybe you think, you know, it's not that big of a deal if I cross this line with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Because you know what? We're going to get married one day anyway. So praise the Lord. <laughs> and So we kind of just bend and pose and do all these things that make Jesus fit our, our narrative and make him fit our ideas. And, you know, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel everywhere I go, but he just didn't make me that way. I'm not that confident, I'm a shy person, and so it's good for you to go share your story, but for me, that's not how I'm created. You know, so we just kind of bend the narrative a little bit of what Jesus is like, and we make him fit our mold, and and we put Jesus in a box. And we think, this is what it's like. This is who he is. And maybe we try to manipulate him and say, you know what? If I tithe on a regular basis, that means he's going to bless me. And so your tithe is is, is connected with a blessing when it should be connected to your worship. And so maybe you try to manipulate God by saying, you know what, I can one-up him. I can have some leverage with God. If I do this, he has to do this. And this is what happened to Israel. They were rudely awakened. They went to the battlefield. They had the Ark of the Covenant. Everything was together. And they lose 30,000 men. But on top of losing 30,000 men, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen too. They they, they were separated from the Ark and 30,000 people are killed. Now, now I want to ask you. Have you ever asked God for help and feel like he let you down? Let's just be honest. Let's be transparent. Have you ever... Felt like you asked God to help you, and he didn't deliver like you thought he should. He just let you down. Maybe you're praying for the health of a loved one, and that person got sicker and sicker, and ultimately they died. Maybe you've asked for relief from depression or anxiety, and it seems like every day is a battle to get out of bed. No matter how often you pray, maybe maybe you ask for something as simple as a passing grade in school. And you get there, and you realize, I don't know nothing on this test. Maybe, maybe you wanted a certain outcome and it never happened the right way and you prayed with all the confidence in the world and you prayed and did all the right things you knew to do, but still at the end of the day it feels like God lets you down. That's a, that's a dangerous place to be mentally. To believe that God has somehow let you down. And right now, the Israelites are feeling that way. They brought the Ark of the Covenant. They thought this was going to be a win. And God didn't show up the way they, the way they thought that God was going to show up. And they lose. And they ultimately get defeated. And the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. But there's an important lesson for us to, to learn right here God will not let himself be used, He is not a lucky rabbit's foot. And there's something I teach our teenagers in TSM all the time. I ask them constantly, what does God owe you? And you know what their response is? Nothing. But somehow we have come with this entitlement attitude that God owes us stuff. That God owes us things. And when God doesn't give us what we think we're owed, we get angry at God and we get, dist- uh, we get uh, frustrated with God. And we think, God, why did you let me down? But God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you salvation. He doesn't owe you blessings. He doesn't owe you a roof over your head. He doesn't owe you food in your stomach. There's nothing that God owes you. Everything you have today is a blessing and a free gift from His own grace and His mercy. You didn't earn that, that's free. And yet sometimes we still try to manipulate God to do what we want Him to do, and it doesn't work out, and we get frustrated with Him because we made presumptions upon God of what He's supposed to be like in our life. And this is what I see happening so often in people, is they run their family without God. And they run their business without God. And, and they, they play sports without God, and they choose their careers without God, and they choose their spouses without God, and they do all these things without God. And then one day they're sitting in a doctor's office, and the doctor says, hey, we've got some bad news. There's a bad report. We're going to, to do some more tests. And you know what they say? Go get God. We need God. Go get God. We're losing. We need God. Go get God. Your family's coming apart at the seams. You know what happens? You say, we need to go get God. Go get God. You've been running this whole time, running your life so long without God, and then all of a sudden one tragedy hits, and now you've got to go get God. You, that's, that's the missing part, right? I, I need God. And then you get frustrated that he doesn't provide like you thought he would. And it brings you down. Because you're treating God more like a lucky rabbit's foot than you are a relationship. Daily we walk with him. Not just in the bad times, but daily we walk with him. And so when those bad times come, you don't have to go run and try to find him. He's already there with you. And he brings comfort and understanding and peace in those trying times. Man, it's sad to go see people run to try to find God when they're at their weakest moments. Here's the third thing. They presumed about God. They presumed about God. Verse 12. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat. Eli was the high priest. He was the, the, the one that's supposed to go between man and God. And Eli was sitting upon a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old. And his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, "I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army." And he said, "Where is there, What is there done, my son?" And the messenger said, "Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons, also Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken." And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from his seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. And his daughter-in-law Phineas, his wife, was with child, near to be delivered. When she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered not there, uh, but she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father in law and her husband, and she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. This is what happened. They suffered a temporary defeat, and they thought everything was lost. The ark of God is taken. God has been kidnapped. (laughs) They're won. We lost... And they immediately start presuming about God. God is no longer strong. He is no longer in control. He is in captivity. They have stolen our God. Oh no, oh no. And here's what I want us to understand is that sometimes we will suffer temporary defeats in life. And it may look like God is losing, but ultimately ultimately God is winning. He's He's usually winning where we cannot see him winning. And so even though they can't see this situation as a win, God is up to something. He's up to something. Just because you, you may not see God working in your life the way you thought you should, doesn't mean he's not, okay? He's behind the scenes doing things you can't do and you can't see. And, and let me give, you, give me give you an example. There's a poem I, I wrote down in your, your outline. It's written by a girl who's 12 years old. Her name is Brooke Brankowski. And this is the poem she wrote. She says, Since I have my life before me. 12 years old she wrote this. I'll live my life to the fullest, I'll be happy, I'll brighten up. I will be more joyful than i ever been. I will be kind to others, I will loosen up, I will tell others about Christ. I will go on adventures and change the world. I will be bold and not change who I really am. I will have no troubles, but instead help others with their troubles. You see, I'll be one of those people who live to be history makers at a young age. Oh, I'll have moments, good and bad, but I will wipe away the bad and only remember the good. In fact, that's all I remember, just good moments, nothing in between, just living my life to the fullest. I'll be one of those people who go somewhere with a mission, an awesome plan, a world-changing plan, and nothing will hold me back. I will set an example for others. I will pray for direction. I have my life before me. I will give others the joy I have, and God will give me more joy. I will do everything God tells me to do. I will follow the footsteps of God. I will do my best. 12 years old. You know what I was doing at 12? Wasn't doing that. <laughs> you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking like that. This young girl at 12 years old already found out that God had a purpose and a plan for her life. And she wrote this poem. And Brooke had a mission. She was collecting Bibles. She was working, doing babysitting jobs and things like that, and using her money to buy Bibles. And she was stockpiling these Bibles in her garage because her mission was to get a Bible to every student in her grade. She wanted, to get, she wanted to get Bibles to everybody in her school, and so she collected Bibles, and she bought them herself. At 14 years old, unfortunately, Brooke was killed in a car accident with another one of her friends on the way to go see a movie. They weren't drinking. They weren't partying. They just happened to be on a, on a rainy night, and they tur- took a bad turn, and the car wrecked, and, and two of them died, Brooke being one of them. At 14 years old, and you read this poem, and you think, she lost she lost, right? I mean, there's so much potential there. There was so much ambition there. There was a mission placed in her heart. Game over. She lost. But This is the crazy, awesome thing that God does is even though it looks like a loss, he's still winning. Yeah. And so at her funeral, 1,500 people came to this funeral and came. And over 200 students gave their life to Christ at Brooke Brankowski's funeral and guess what Bibles they received at the moment where they gave their life to Christ. Remember all those Bibles she collected in her garage? They handed out all these Bibles to her friends and to her peers at her funeral service. And i want to tell you, there may be times it looks like a loss in your life, but God is up to something. And he's doing something you may not be able to see, and he is winning. And this is exactly what's happening right now. And we read in the Israelites and the Philistines. In 1956, some of you are very familiar with a man named Elvis Presley. But in 1956, he played a show at Detroit, and, and, and after his show, he exited the stage, and the people were still standing there, and they were waiting for an encore. That's what they were doing. They were waiting around, they wouldn't leave. And finally, someone came over to the loudspeaker, and you've heard this famous, famous quote before. They came over to the loudspeaker, and it said, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Has left the building. Why? Because they weren't leaving. They are waiting for the encore. This is what I've learned about God. God always gets an encore. He always gets the encore. When you think the stage is empty and there's no way this is going to happen, there's no way this is going there's no way it's going to work out. All of a sudden God comes up on stage and says, "You thought I was done, didn't you? <laughs> you thought this was over? No, nah, let me let me let me let me put it in perspective for you. I'm never done working." And so what we find is that that God is working behind the scenes. They think in God, the glory of God has departed Israel. They've been taken. Nothing is going to work out. Uh, Let me put it in perspective. I got more props. I I worked with a a guy in our staff. His name's Clayton. He has a great collection of uh, action figures. Uh, I told him I wanted an action figure to to demonstrate this. But the Philistines worshiped a god called Dagon. Dagon was a half man, half fish god, big statue. Let me introduce you to Dagon. <laughs> There's Dagon, half man, half fish. And, and, and what happened is the, Israel, uh, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it into the temple of Dagon. And they, they, the, 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 in comparison, the Ark was so much smaller than their statue. And so their statue was towering over the Ark of the Covenant. This was a trophy for the Philistines. They're like, look what we have done. We have captured the, the God of Israel. And now our God is in control. And they placed this God, uh, this, this box in, in front of their God and, and made it a big deal. matter of fact, chapter 5, it says, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it in from Ebenezer and unto Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early in the morning, that I can picture this, they're getting up early for church. They're dressed to the nines. Man, they're coming in ready for, just imagine this. You're, you're the Philistines and you've captured the, the God of Israel and you're about to go to church. This is going to be an epic church service for the Philistines. And they're getting ready to go to church and they start walking in. And look what happens. They rose early on the morrow, on the morrow morning. Behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and they set him up again. they kind of prop him up. I can imagine, like, that was weird. That never happened before. He's never fallen over like that. That's, that's bizarre. And so they set him back up. They prop him back up. And then, verse 4, And then they arose early on the morrow morning, and Dagon was falling upon his face again. But this time, this time, It says the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold and only the stump of Dagon was left to him. In other words... It was just the torso of Dagon. His head came off, his arms came off, and he's before the Ark of the Covenant again. This is what I love. Oh, man, God is good. I love what he's doing here. He's demonstrating to the Philistines, your God can't think for you, and your God can't even hold you. He's just demonstrating. He says, you might think your God is controlled, but let me demonstrate what I can do. And he just destroys their God in his own temple. And he's flipping the script on these Philistines. He's doing some things they didn't realize could be done. All of a sudden, he is changing Everything, this God who the Philistines thought were so strong and so mighty, has now become weak. And this God who they thought was so weak has now become so strong and so mighty. This God that they thought was so real has now become unreal, but the God they thought that was so unreal has now become real in their sight. This God that was exalted has now become humiliated, but this other God who they thought was humiliated has now become exalted, and the temple of Dagon has now become the temple of Jehovah God. And it's, it's flipped the script on all the Philistine, and they cannot figure it out, And meanwhile, the Israelites are back home crying, we lost, we lost, we lost. Meanwhile, God's at the Philistine camp saying, how about another one? Pop! How about another one? Pop!" And he's over there fighting their battles. While the the Israelites are crying, God is winning. I love this. I love this. God works on different levels than we do. Because while he's at the Philistine camp, he's teaching the Philistines... Ain't no God bigger than me. Ain't no God bigger than me. Meanwhile, in Israelite camp, he's teaching them, you can't manipulate me. You can't control me. He's teaching two lessons at the very same time. This is how our God works. Different levels at different times. And he allowed himself to look defeated in order to gain the greater victory. And so he went to the enemy's camp and did what the Israelites couldn't do. He won Behind enemy lines. And so the, the Philistines are scared to death. And they start getting rid of this thing. And they start moving this thing around from place to place. It says they take the Ark of the Covenant. And, and they start bringing it from different places. This is verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod and he destroyed them and smote them with the imrods. Now that word imrod has three different translations. In Hebrew, it could mean it could mean sores, it could mean plague, or it could mean hemorrhoids. I don't want any of the three, all right? So what's happening? What's happening is the people in Philistines they're in bad ways, all right? And the ark of the covenant they realized these sores is connected with this box. And so let's get rid of this box. And so they sent there before, verse 8, and gathered and all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried, around, uh, carried about unto Gath, and to carry the ark of God of Israel about thither. It was so that they had carried it about the hand of the Lord was against that city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both with small and great, and they had emeralds, emeralds in their secret parts. <laughs> uh. Hemorrhoids, hemorrhoids, you get the picture. Verse 10, Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, and it came to pass, as the ark of of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. So let me give you a picture of what's going on. They take this thing and they bring it to Ashdod. Let's pretend that's Winston County. And he gets to Winston County. <laughs> the people in Winston County are getting Mrods. And they say, get that thing out of here. And so they send it all the way over to Gath. That's Morgan County. And the people in Gath, they get Mrods they say, send that thing out of here. And so they send it over, and they take it to Ekron. It's back in Coleman County now. <laughs> and now it's just made this big circle. And everybody, everywhere it goes, the people are being destroyed. And meanwhile, the people of Israel are still crying. God has been defeated. God has been kidnapped. Meanwhile, he's going from territory to territory to territory to territory. And he's winning and he's winning and he's winning and he's, winning, and he's defeating. And he's bringing victory. And finally, it gets back to the Philistines. And He said, send that thing back home. And it sent it all the way back to Israel. And here comes the box, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Israel. And they rejoice and they realize what God has done. Let me tell you, just because you may look defeated, just because your situation may look grim, doesn't mean God is not up to something behind the scenes, okay? You can trust God that he's doing big things behind the scenes. And you might be thinking, Brother Andrew, how do I know that? How do I know? Because I look at Jesus, and I look at him, and I see that he goes from healing the sick, and stilling the storms, and sending demons to hell, and He's feeding thousands of people from nothing and bringing people back to life. And then he allows himself to be a victim. He allows himself to be captured and placed in a dungeon. But God was up to something. Because if Jesus had lived to be 75 years old and died of natural causes, he would have died being a good man. People would have said he was a good man. Wasn't he a wonderful teacher? But because he was killed like a criminal and executed on a cross and beaten so badly that he was unrecognizable to everyone he knew and so poor that he had to borrow a tomb to be buried in, then three days later something happened. What looked like defeat became the greatest victory for all of mankind. And so we don't call him teacher, we call him savior. And so this because a situation looks bad doesn't mean it's the end of the novel. Doesn't mean it's the end of the story. Don't tell me that God can't make a victory out of your defeat. So here, here's, here's my last thing, and I'm going to kind of bring it down with this. It doesn't, doesn't rhyme with the other points, but it's still an important point to make. Do you have to prop up your God? And, and, and this comes from back in chapter 5 when they had the Ark of the Covenant in the Temple of Dagon. And they go in every morning and find that the God has fallen over and they prop them back up and prop them back up and prop them back up. And I have, I have come, to, come under the conviction in my life that there are times where I prop up a God in my life that should not be propped up. Amen. I'm wondering, do we prop up the, the God of money in our life? We think if I just make a little bit more money... Things are going to be better. If I get a raise, if I get a promotion, if I get more hours, if I get this, or I'm going to get a little bit more, things are going to be better. And then you get a little bit more. And so you prop that God back up in your life. And guess what you need now? Just a little bit more. That God has fallen over. Now you've got to prop it back up in your life. Maybe, maybe this God we constantly prop up in our life is the God of pleasure. We're just trying to seek out what makes us feel better. And we go from thing to thing to thing, and that God keeps falling over in our life. And so we get back down, we prop that God back up, and it falls back over. And we prop it, trying to seek the new thing that's going to bring us pleasure. Trying to seek out that new thing that's going to bring us happiness. But it's always so temporary, isn't it? And that God just falls right back over, and we have to prop it back up. Maybe it's the God of relationships Maybe you go from relationship to relationship, trying to find that peace, trying to find that comfort, trying to find that security. And so every guy, every girl is not the right one, but you keep going back and you keep propping that God up. Can I be be transparent with you? You know what God challenged me? He says, Andrew, your God is the God of ministry. That's right. Ministry can be a God. My platform, my crowd, my popularity... It's an unstable savior. Many many times I find myself trying to prop this thing back up in my life. And if you had to fix up the God that's supposed to be fixing you up, you need a new God. If you're having to prop up the God that you're tr- that's supposed to be propping you up, you need a new God. And so maybe, maybe the problem of your defeats in life is, is that you're trying to prop up something that doesn't need to be propped up. And I just want to encourage you this morning that the God, the one true God... It's at work in your life. And you gotta trust him. You gotta believe him. You you gotta be patient with him. God is about time or about timing, not about time. We want him to work now, but he has to work in his own timing. And he's doing things behind the scenes we cannot see. And when you think you're losing, he's actually taking a win for you. He's doing things you can't do. And you just gotta trust him and depend upon him, believe him. And, but, but here's the thing I can't leave us here. Because I, I think about that ark, man, I, and how much it applies to, to Jesus. Because the Philistines they capture that ark and they place it in their temple and they say, "We won, we won, we won. The Israelites are thinking we lost, we lost, we lost." And I, I, find, I find it so similar. Jesus is in the garden, He's praying. And then he allows himself to be captured, allows himself to be captured. And the Philistines lock up the, t- the, the, the ark and the temple and, 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 and the, the Romans, they lock up Jesus in a dungeon and they begin to beat him and they begin to torture him and they, they put him on a cross and he dies and the Romans and the demons and Satan and all the religious crowd are saying, we won, we won, we won. And all the disciples and the followers of Jesus are shaking their head and saying, we lost, we lost, we lost. And then on Friday... <laughs> As Jesus was locked up in death's dungeon on Friday, death fell off of his pedestal. And then on Saturday... Death's head came off and his hands came off as if to say, Death can't scare me and death can't hold me down no more. And then on Sunday, Jesus turned the temple of death into a temple of life, and all of a sudden, this trophy they thought they had was resurrected, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to tell you that Jesus is real. He can transform your life. There's nothing too hard for him, nothing too small for him. And although you might think you are defeated, I want you to understand that God can turn the weakest defeat into the greatest. Greatest of victories. If you just trust him, if you just believe him, he will. I promise you. See, we, win, we serve a God that wins behind the scenes. We, win a, we, we serve a God that wins without your help. We don't need to help God. He's got it under control. We serve a God that's more powerful than any enemy you could ever face in life. We serve a God that can turn any defeat into victory. And we serve a God that can, that can minister to your heart and your needs right this moment. So church... Maybe you've been carrying some bitterness and stuff in your heart against God because you feel like he's failed you. Maybe you've been carrying around some bitterness in your heart because you feel like it's kind of defeated at this moment in time. Can I challenge you this morning that this would be a morning you just place your trust in him? That you just say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to trust you. God, I don't see it. But I believe it. That's the, that's, that's the essence of faith, by the way. Believing it without seeing it. So God, I may not be seeing you move, but I'm just trusting you're moving. God, I'm sorry for the way I've acted. I'm sorry for my bitterness. I'm sorry for my heart attitude. Maybe today is a day you can just get real with God. Get patient with God. Get honest with God. Bring your heart, your emotions, your sentiments against him. Let me, let me tell you, God is not offended by your questions. God is not offended by your attitude. He's big enough, he can handle that kind of stuff. He created you with that kind of mentality and those emotions. He can handle it, and so maybe you just need to get real with God this morning and say, God, forgive me. Or maybe there's a real heavy need you've been carrying for a long time that you thought you could handle by yourself, like the Israelites thought they could handle it by themselves, and you realize, I'm losing. I'm losing, God. And if you don't step in in a hurry, I'm really going to lose. And so maybe this morning is the time you turn over that battle to the Lord and say, God, help me. I'm sorry for trying to do this on my own. I'm sorry for thinking I have it handled, but help me. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to invite our our, our musicians up to the stage, and we're going to have a time of response. But listen, I I love you, and the reason I I preach this message is because I find myself in this message so often, where I'm trying to do things on my own, and I don't see God working like I thought I should, and and there's a lot of chaotic times in my life. and There's times where I feel defeated, and there's, there's just a lot of burdens in my life, and And sometimes God has to shake me awake and say, Andrew, trust me. I'm working. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, I'm thankful for you.